Hey, Collateral Cinema listeners. Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast. Just taking a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. Much like Collateral Cinema, we are a grassroots podcast. We invite bands from all over the world to come in and we dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you and there's tons of music every week so subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast we look forward to having you on tonight's director's cut we once again dive into another horror movie franchise as we take on the nightmare on elm street franchise so whatever you do don't go to sleep the show starts right now Welcome to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And we are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And we are back with Director's Cut, finally. We are so sorry for the recent delay in episodes. I guess we've just kind of got a little too into our own bullshit, you could say, uh, in our personal lives, but, you know, it's whatever. So here we are. We're back in action, and we're ready to bring some more awesome movie content. Right, Robert? Definitely. Definitely. And, Robert, what are we talking about tonight? The Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, or at least all four films. The first four films, yeah. we should say. At least the first half. We'll make it a two-part. And Robert, what does this series mean to you? Everything. Everything. Like, 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 like explain. Like, it's like, pretty what? much my childhood, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say that yeah. perhaps this is a really important, like, first entry point into horror for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Especially for, like, R-rated, you know, more gory horror films. This is actually a good kind of starting point for that for a lot of younger people. Yeah, see, we're 90s kids, and I guess we're just picking up a lot of the 80s, right? Exactly. What's interesting about this is that this kind of got a late start in the 80s, right? Yeah, right in the middle, right? Like 84, 85, right? That was the first movie. It was like 86, wasn't it? Maybe like 84, the filming came out in like 85 or something, you know? Yeah, and it kind of went on into the 90s, but I mean, for some reason, I see this as more of a 90s franchise than an 80s franchise, right? Yeah, I mean, late 80s, early 90s franchise. Yeah, and this series, it kind of laid the groundwork for some of Wes Craven's work that would be to come, namely the all-time great horror satire, Scream. Screams. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that New Nightmare, which we'll get into in our second part, this is going to be part one of our Nightmare on Elm Street deep dive, by the way, and... I mean, New Nightmare, it kind of has a little bit of that Scream feel to it. You know, that real meta take on the horror franchise. Yeah, the new remake was a lot like the first two movies, just more darker. But, you know, it wasn't really funny, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you kind of see where, you know, what would become Scream was kind of being worked out throughout the Nightmare movies, culminating in uh, New Nightmare. Yeah. But to me... I really like how pretty much every sequel starting from Nightmare on Elm Street, 
it kind of tries to add a more unique flavor to uh, Freddy as a character and also his prey or his victims, I should say. Like, you especially see that starting in the second movie. I mean, it's practically a standalone movie in its own right, I believe. But we'll go ahead and get started with the first movie. I mean, the first movie, I mean, so many people already know what happens here. I mean, we're, we're introduced to, of course, Freddy in that intro sequence. He's making his glove and everything. And I mean, Robert, what was, the, what was your first thought when you saw Freddy in this movie? I mean, he's, he's not as upfront as he is in most of the sequels, and he's a lot darker, right? Yeah, he is. I mean, I didn't really watch the first one in order. I picked it up from the fourth one, you know? And then I watched, like, part two and three on a recording. But after that, I had to see the original. And in the opening of that, where he's making his gloves, like, who's this dude? He's, like, blowtorching a damn knife glove together. Yeah, it's actually some pretty interesting craftsmanship right i mean both as a uh, as a diegetic you know item in the movie but also as a movie prop i mean it's one of those really iconic looking weapons you know i mean you have jason in his uh his machete you have leatherface in his chainsaw you have pinhead in his chains and hooks but i mean this right here exudes personality in its own right razor fingers yeah, there's there's almost kind of an elegance to it in a weird way, which is kind of fucked up given that he's, you know, a child killer. That's that's what he uses these damn knives for. I mean, we're introduced to quite possibly one of the most dynamic final girls in all of the slasher genre. Nancy Thompson, played by Heather Lagenkamp. Now, Robert, what what are your thoughts on her and what are your thoughts on Nancy as a character? I think she's an excellent final girl and a fantastic actress. Well, part one was great. And then part three, I hated that they killed her off, really, you know? Yeah, I I know. I felt like they could have carried the Nancy character a little bit more, you know, too. They really really could have, but I like what they did with her in New Nightmare, just having her be Heather Lagenkamp. Yeah. That was really interesting. That was cool. I mean, here you don't really have a chaste final girl. Like, I mean, I don't really feel that she's the typical virginal archetype for final girls, you know? Yeah, see, in the third one, like, I guess Kristen becomes that final girl because she dies, you know? It's kind of like passing that torch a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can only be one, boo. There can only be one. (laughs) But she also is not overtly sexualized or anything. I mean, to a degree, even the most virginal final girl has a sexual allure to them. But, I mean, it's just a little more toned down and everything. Like, you know, like Laurie Strode, for example. But here, I mean, she has a ferocity to her that is really appealing to me. It's it's almost reminiscent of Ripley from Alien. She almost has kind of a Sigourney Weaver flair to her acting, even. Like, I mean, she's very no-nonsense. I mean, she knows that something is up, that something is wrong. And the way that she actually figures out what Freddy is and how to fight him is actually really interesting to watch throughout the movie. I concur. Yeah, (laughs) indeed. Oh, like at the, where she starts reading all the survival technique stuff. Yeah, and she starts setting up the traps. It it almost becomes like a Home Alone thing for a little bit. Yeah, dude. It's Home Alone. 
She's waiting for Joe Pesci to come home. Uh. <laughs> oh, I don't know who's scarier, uh, Freddy Krueger or Joe Pesci. Robert England. Yeah. Ro- Robert England is. Uh, yeah. Well, what if they would have made Joe Pesci Freddy Krueger? Freaking Home Alone with Freddy Krueger. <laughs> oh my lord! Could you could you imagine? Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's basically what it was, what it was because she was locked in her house from like you know the inside with the. Uh, Prison bars and a deadbolt lock, you know? Yeah, those burglar bars that it, her mom put on there. I mean, god damn, it, it's like she was really trying to kill her daughter, right? I mean, she stopped her from sneaking out her window, you know? And, and also isolated her from Johnny Depp's character, which, yeah, by the way, this is Johnny Depp's first movie. Yes, it is. And there's news that he got rehired as Jack Sparrow in The Pirates of the Caribbean. And, I mean, his performance here is actually pretty decent, I think. It's not the worst in the world. No, man. I mean, it's Johnny Depp. Yeah, but how does it rank uh, next to Kevin Bacon's debut in Friday the 13th? Uh, You know, I think he had more lines than Kevin Bacon did in Friday the 13th. Yeah, Yeah. Kevin Bacon was a very one-note character. Yeah, one-note. I think he was just a face in that that movie. Yeah. Here he's a lot more fleshed out, and you really feel it when he dies. And his death scene is kind of iconic in its own right. I mean, it it was achieved using an effect where they pretty much made an upside-down version of his room, like all his... uh, bed stuff and everything and his furniture was on the ceiling and the you know the floor was the actual ceiling and they just poured blood through all of that and i mean that's such a striking effect even all these years later like over 30 years later crazy it takes a lot of work man yeah it really does and i guess you know what are your final thoughts on the first nightmare movie you know, I think you can always go back and watch the original because I, it's, you know, it's just, it's fun. I mean, what's better than watching the original? Yeah. But this this trilogy, it does not suck. I think it's all fun that you can just, like, grow with the character, Freddy, and then just have it be funny and have a good time. Yeah, and we didn't really get comedic Freddy here. This is more, like, dark and scary Freddy. Yeah, the first two movies are a lot darker. Yeah, yeah way darker. And... We're going to go ahead and start with the second movie, which is quite possibly, at least academically speaking, the most analyzed of all the nightmare movies. It's because of the gay subtext that you know, it's it's been very well documented. And honestly, I don't know if we could really do that subtext a whole lot of um, justice. But Robert, what did you see there? <laughs> In the a lot of foreshadowing and what else? Like lots of phallic imagery, maybe. There you go. Yeah, lots of that. They were shaped into cylinders, or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, there's also the fact where he's trying to you know hook up with his uh, girlfriend. Uh, I forget her name. The little redhead girl. Yeah. And you know, he, he gets spooked, and then he goes over to his friend Grady's, and then that's where he emerges from his skin as Freddy and proceeds to absolutely fuck Grady up. <laughs> like, just straight up just slashes him. Still no chance. Still no chance. And a lot has been made of how that is kind of symbolic of a homosexual awakening, or at least like a, a questioning phase, more or less. But, I mean, in the end... 
like, like I said, we couldn't even come close to doing any type of analysis, like any kind of justice. And quite frankly, there are a few people that have done it better. Like, yeah. you know, Renegade Cut has, especially. Yeah. And also, I mean, Cinema Snob has an episode on it. I think uh, watch that one; it's hilarious. It is hilarious, and and there's a lot of other analysis on YouTube if you really want to check it out and you really want to get a little deeper. And I think that even some of our uh, podcast friends have probably done episodes on it. But as far as the movie is concerned, I think that this is quite possibly the best nightmare movie of the entire franchise I think that's what we were saying right but like part two is a lot darker than all of them right? it's way <laughs> darker it, it has more interesting thematic elements and subtext and the characters are actually very likable like even yeah. Grady is likable to a degree I mean he he doesn't come across as an, an absolute douchebag I mean he still tries to even you know support Jesse uh, to a degree the new kid yeah, and you know they they even bond a little bit over there getting in trouble by Coach Snyder and having to do push-ups a little bit. You know, he's like he's, he just gets off. He likes pretty boys like us or something. Oh man, <laughs> Schneider is a messed up character in his own right. <laughs> so, I mean, I I, I kind of have to question the whole you know meeting up with an underage student at a leather bar and then taking them to back to the school yeah, and what's that all about? Telling him to get into the shower. It's like. And he's still wearing his leather getup. I mean, no homophobia here or anything. I mean, if you if you're into leather stuff, that's that you do you. But I mean, there's there is kind of a questionable dynamic there. I'm saying, you know, with the older man and the younger student, and and you just know that if you know this was a younger girl or whatever or an older woman in that role, I mean, th this would have an entirely different approach to it or a response to it. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, the characters are actually really likable. I mean, I like his girlfriend. I still can't recall the character's name. Was It wasn't Kate or anything, was it? Um, Jesus, I forgot. Yeah, I totally forgot who she is. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. But, I mean, she's very likable. She really, I mean, you really believe that she loves Jesse. And, I mean, Freddie, my God. He's way darker here than he was in the first movie. Yeah. I mean, you can tell with that one dream sequence where he just, like, peels the back of his scalp or he peels the sack back yeah. of his head and then just reveals his brain and then Jesse oh. wakes up, dude. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And and that whole effect where he comes out of Jesse's body is very well done, yeah. I think, that's like, a, for its time. That's a cool little trick effect, dude. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that a lot of the special effects throughout the sequels, they kind of got a little better over time. And this is where it really started to get really good. I mean, and, and it even has an interesting opening sequence. The whole thing where Jesse is with those two girls and they're in the school bus and then they yeah. go off road and everything. So I think some of that was model effect too. Right? Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. pretty good looking model effects for its time and for its yeah. budget. It looked good. It really did. And then, yeah, the desert scene reminded me of the Hills of Eyes, dude. Yeah, it does kind of have that Hills of Eyes feel to it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you think of the actual kills in this movie? The kills? Huh. See, when do we start to see our first kill? I think technically the first kill was Schneider, right? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, yeah, it was Coach Schneider. That was the first kill. And that was a very theatrical nightmare kill in its own right. 
Yeah, I think he was supposed to go into like his sister's room, but she was like singing like one of the little kids. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a creepy scene right there where he's I mean, he's lording over his sister while she's asleep. Yeah. He just tells her to go back to sleep and he has Freddie's glove on and Th- that brings me to another interesting angle about this is that technically it's kind of a possession movie, right? Yeah, he, he pretty much, Jesse is like a vessel for Freddy Krueger. Yeah. I mean, going back to what I said earlier about, you know, all the sequels kind of having a refreshing take on, you know, the world of Nightmare and Freddy and all of that. This is part of that. I mean, this was way different from what was set in the first movie. This is link between the dream world and reality. Yeah. Ooh. You, you know what movie would eventually kind of resurrect that a little bit? Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Except, I mean, he's not necessarily possessing Jason. He's more like controlling him by way of his dreams. By his mother, right? Forming, by his mother, yeah. Forming into his mother and then telling him what to do. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I also really like the ending. It's actually a pretty emotional scene. And the actress that plays Jesse's girlfriend really sells it. And also, I mean, Robert England, he really, like, brought his acting up to a whole new level. But, I mean, we'll go ahead and do final thoughts on this one, Robert. You know what? I can watch part two a bunch of times because it's a lot. I think it's more scarier. I think the latex makeup is more gorier than all of them, really. It's more wet, you know, more obscured in the shadows, really. Just I think they did a good job on it, you know. Yeah. And I really like how they presented the dream sequences here as well. There's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of them. And you can kind of tell that they really did a lot more with a lot less here. And also, I mean, the, the pool scene is actually pretty badass. The, yeah. the pool massacre scene, goddamn. Yeah, that's a great scene. That is an amazing scene. I mean, there, there's so much at stake. And, you know, especially with Jesse and his girlfriend having that confrontation, which is absolutely chilling. Oh, when his tongue comes out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, 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 all of that is chilling. And... I mean, I think that, like I said, this is one of the best, if not the best of the franchise. Like, th- this is at least my in my top five. And I, I would watch it any time. Yeah, I can definitely have it replaying over and over again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, to a degree, you could say that about a lot of these movies. But, I mean, this one especially. Yeah. And now to part three. Part three. Which... I'm sure it was probably an entry point for this series for a lot of people. The Dream Warriors. The Dream Warriors. Yeah, a lot of people will probably remember this one the most because it kind of has a really great deal of personality to it. And that personality is very much driven by the characters that end up being the Dream Warriors, which they're all patients in this one mental institution. Yeah, they're the last of the Elm Street They're kids. the last of the Elm Street kids, and they've been locked up because, I mean, let's face it, they've been through a lot. And that's uh, Weston Hills, right? At Weston Hills. And you, yeah. see, you see Weston Hills and uh, Freddy vs. Jason, right? Yeah. And it also reintroduces Nancy Thompson, Heather Lagenkamp playing once again, and it kind of brings her story arc full circle. And it also brings back the legendary John Saxon. Saxon. Yeah, you had to get John Saxon. May he rest in peace. Yes. I mean, he was awesome in the first movie, but here he really shines. He shines, like, brilliantly. 
It's because he's a real actor. Oh, yeah. He, he he was always a really great actor. I mean, going all the way back to Enter the Dragon. To the Dragon. He was also in quite possibly one of the greatest Mystery Science Theater episodes of all time, Mitchell, with the man himself, Joe Don motherfucking Baker. Joe Don Baker. Joe Don goddamn Baker. That's right. Don't anyone ever forget that. <laughs> But yeah, John Saxon was amazing in this movie, and so was Heather Lagenkamp. I mean, she actually brought a really good emotional performance for Nancy. And you can also tell that she's wisened up. She's grown up. She's got a job. But I mean, it doesn't really explain much about the ending from the first movie, though. Yeah, I'm confused at that. Yeah, that's still very confusing. And I love me some symbolic dream sequences like that. But I would say that part two had a way better ending than this. And, and, and that still had kind of a sequel bait to it. Yeah, see, that, see, part one, I think the ending was just like, they just left it open for a cliffhanger too, right? Yeah, they, they kind of left it open for a sequel thing. Although I also think that it could have worked as a standalone movie. But I think that you could say the same thing for this movie, Dream Warriors, which coincidentally we actually have playing in the background. And the kill scenes here are quite possibly some of the best of the franchise, I think. Didn't they say that this movie was supposed to be the last one, too? It was. Yeah, yeah it, it was kind of a Friday the 13th thing, you know, like the final Friday. Yeah, the final chapter. The final chapter. Was supposed to be the final night. Yeah. The final chapter. And th this right here was supposed to pretty much put the, you know, nail in Freddy's coffin, more or less. But, I mean, this had, you know, the puppet kill, you know, this had the, the television gag, this had... You know, that giant Freddy worm? Oh, man. I mean, it had really surreal dream moments. And then and then you find out that these characters, they all have their own powers. Like, one girl can bring other people into her dreams. Like, this other kid, you know, he's, who's in a wheelchair, he can walk and he becomes a wizard. You know, this other kid is really, really strong. And this other kid can is really acrobatic. And, I mean, th that brought another really fresh element to the series. It actually had, I mean, I, I, I would go so far that to say that technically Dream Warriors doesn't have a real final girl. All of them are the final girl. Yeah, they all got powers. They all have powers, and a lot of them are overtaken by Freddy. But, I mean, it's still a lot of fun to watch them fight against Freddy. Like, especially, you know, Badass Punk Girl. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it still addresses the root causes of why they were there. Like, you know, she's stuck with heroin needles. And, and it's kind of, it's unfortunate, but, you know, in a way, it kind of shows how she kind of overcame her addictions in many ways. It's kind of like they all need to be on suicide watch or something. Because, you know, something might happen. Seriously, I mean, you really, really end up seriously caring about all of these characters and it really stings when nancy and her father are eventually killed by freddy by skeleton freddy oh man that is so sad i mean especially to i mean john saxon and yeah. heather wackenkamp oh man they were really great in this movie dang it the junkyard scene was cool yeah he's like pulls freddy's bones together dang. yeah yeah it's crazy man but, I mean, what are your final thoughts on Dream Warriors? What, what do you think? The Dream Warriors, 
the beginning was scary too. In the opening where she's like building a popsicle stick. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of tension there, yeah. you know. A lot of good close-ups, you know, and it's like this insomniac just can't go to sleep. So what does she do? Make a popsicle house that looks like uh, Nancy's house, right? Yeah, she's seen actually drawing Nancy's house as well, and yeah. and this is where Nancy actually realizes what's happening is when she sees this model and. And she's also pulled into, I think her name's Kristen's dream. Yeah. See, uh, I don't think that uh, Nancy has been seeing Freddie because she, uh, she's she been taking the hypnosil, right? And then I, yeah. think, I think that falls out of her purse, right? So we Yeah, you're right. It does. We are introduced to hypnosil for the first time right here. Yeah, and hypnosil would play a part in the series, especially, especially going up to Freddie versus Jason. I think yeah. that's most memorably used in that one. There's a lot of that. All the Weston Hills kids have to take it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting in Freddy vs. Jason that they went back to Weston Hills and everything. Yeah, just to go get the, the hypnosil so they can take that and not dream. Yeah. And still have to deal with Jason. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, it's actually just as well that these kids didn't take hypnosil because, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have figured out that they had powers like they did and that yeah. they could actually fight against Jason. And, and that's what makes it a much more dynamic horror movie, I think. And, yeah, you start to kind of see that gap uh, bridging between, you know, scary Freddy versus comedic Freddy. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, but this movie actually has a little bit of a balance. The, the next movie maybe goes a little more towards the comedic side, but it's also a decent continuation of the Dream Warriors saga. And, and, of course, that's Nightmare 4, the Dream Master. The Master. Yeah, and here we have, who is it? It's uh, Kristen, the, the strong kid, and... Kincaid and Joey. Kincaid and Joey, yeah. So the last three of the Elm Street kids. Last three of the Elm Street kids. And Kristen has a boyfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah, he has kind of that uh, dorky guy. Uh, Fred, Fred, Fred Prince Jr. Yeah, but... <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. I'm oh, kidding. my Lord. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And then we're also introduced to Alice, who honestly I think is a really cool character. I think Alice is actually really cool, and, and she ends up being the final girl in this movie, and she takes a turn up in badass level, right? Oh, yeah. I think she inherits all their powers at the end of the movie. Yeah. What is it? She gets their powers and he gets their souls or something, dude. Yeah, it's uh, something to that effect. And it leads to this awesome final battle, I believe, it, which I don't think is the best in the franchise, but it's definitely a lot of fun to watch because Alice is there and she is pissed. She is ready to just take Freddy down. Because uh, he took all her friends. Yeah, he took all her friends. And her brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, her brother is the martial artist and... His death scene, we'll go ahead and get to the death scenes here, which are also memorable in their own right. Like, his death scene is pretty much him fighting against an invisible fighter. And yeah. he's pretty much in, like, an Asian-looking dojo, more or less. And it's sad, but, I mean, he, it also still kind of continues the whole Dream Warrior thing of people being able to fight back in their dreams against Freddy. I mean, in many ways, almost becoming his equal. Exactly. Like, there's kind of an equalizing force there. And I also have to say something about the cockroach death, that the girl who is turned into a cockroach. Oh, the Roach Motel death. The Roach Motel. <laughs> Man, the, the effects on that were actually really brutal. I mean, just seeing her actually transform into this giant roach and then 
And then she's just squished by Freddy. Like, like he squished a hot pocket. Yeah, <laughs> like he squished a hot pocket, exactly. <laughs> oh, but your guts fall out. But I mean, the effects on that are very well done. I mean, it's a really great animatronic. And I mean, it's also really nostalgic, man. I really love old school, you know, uh, scaredy cats uh, done by Thought Slime on YouTube. He would call them wet puppets. Wet puppets? Yeah. It's like, this is some of the best wet puppets of the 90s. I mean, that roach, I mean, it is grody, man. Especially when she went face first into the goo and then she comes up as the full-on roach. It was like something out of Independence Day. No, no, Men in Black, the first one. Yeah, yeah, it was like Men in Black, exactly. Damn, bro. Or almost like a Twilight Zone thing. Yeah. Very Kafka-esque also. I mean, you you gotta gotta say Kafka-esque, right? Kafka-esque. But yeah, I mean, the the kills in this were really, really impressive. And I mean, the, the characters, a lot of them hit the same notes, you know. But I mean, I don't really think that there were as many standouts here other than maybe Alice, to be truthful. Yeah, what's cool is she inherits her brother's karate. And then Kristen has karate too, right? Yeah, but she also has uh, acrobatic skills as well. So that's like double, double the power. Yeah, yeah. She she's actually like pretty much a full fledged wire foo style martial artist by the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. And what do you think of Freddy's performance here? This is where we start seeing the more comedic Freddy. Yeah, like learning is fun with Freddy. <laughs> oh my lord! Just all in blood or all the chalkboard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he's all peeling an apple or. Laying by the beach with the sunglasses. Yeah, that, that's when he makes out with that girl and then sucks, literally sucks every last inch of her body out of her. Yeah. It's like a Mortal Kombat fatality, you know, uh, Shang yeah. Tsung? Shang Tsung, dude, yeah. <laughs> damn. God damn, man. I mean, I like this movie, but I think that out of the four, it is probably the weakest one. Part four? Yeah. I, it's probably, and I don't know if it's the weakest of the franchise, but it's definitely kind of there to me. What do you, What are your final thoughts on this movie? I don't think it's too bad. I, mean, I thought it was hilarious in the opening scene where, like, the dog, or the or when Freddy like pulls himself together, the dog just like pees on him, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> he starts coming back, like re reanimating himself together. Oh yeah, that was actually some decent stop motion animation. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have thrown it away though, you know, because it's one of the ones I did watch. Like I, I picked it up in like Walmart, I think, on a VHS, like right around Halloween, right? And it is significant because it continues the Dream Warrior story yeah, as well. It picks up where it left off exactly, and it continues the story of at least three of the characters that survived. But I mean, I kind of feel like maybe that's where they should have actually killed Nancy was in the fourth one, right? Like, eventually they were going to have to kill her off. I feel. I feel like it probably would have been best if they would have done it in the fourth movie. Yeah, so Kristen can keep making sequels and then just keep passing the final girl to the next final girl, right? Yeah, but yeah, that's our fourth and final movie that we're talking about here. We wanted to just kind of give a quick deep dive into this franchise. What do you think, Robert? What are your thoughts on these first four movies? You know what? I'll watch them over and over again, and when I think we... We're already doing that, right? Yeah, we've already got Dream Warriors on repeat. And I've pretty much been watching these movies because, I mean, I got them on this four-pack, of course. Yeah. You know, 
it, it was cheap and it has like the first four movies on it. And I mean, I really kind of have a nice little nostalgic connection to these movies. I mean, these are once again, like if you grew up in the 90s and you had like Cinemax or HBO or anything, more than likely you were going to at least see one of these sequels running, you know, maybe closer to the evening time. And I always liked Freddy as a character. I, I liked the different ways that they went with the character and with the storylines in all of the movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly kind of glad that we're going into this franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already knocked out Friday the 13th. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel that these first four movies compared to the first four Friday the 13th? Because you have to remember from our deep dive into Friday the 13th that that's more of a franchise of different trilogies. It isn't so much the case here with Nightmare on Elm Street. You know what? They just made Robert England a little bit character, and then you got to see that grow with more of the later stuff, too. Yeah. And especially, like, his final performance in Freddy vs. Jason. And, you know, I wish you could just give, like, one more performance again, you know? Oh, definitely. And we're going to advocate for that again. Please give us one more Robert England performance with Freddy. Yeah, I mean, the studios are wanting them back, you know? Oh, yeah, they're clamoring for it. I mean, especially with all the recent 80s nostalgia. Yeah, I mean... 80s and 90s nostalgia. Halloween, just box office again, banked. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the pandemic, Halloween Kills would have absolutely banked it as well. Another overnight success, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's part one of our Nightmare on Elm Street franchise review. Yeah, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for our second part. We're going to get into the fifth movie, which is, is, is that the final nightmare? Or is that Freddy's Dead? Or which one? Yeah, that's I, I think yeah, that's the one with Jacob, right? Yeah, I, th- I think there's like two more movies in the original storyline, and then you have... New Nightmare, and then you go straight to Freddy versus Jason. Final Nightmares Part 6. Yeah. And that's like some dude who gets knocked oh, out. Yeah. Number 5 is the Dream Child. Yeah, Dream Child. That's right. It's, the, it's Dream Child, and then Freddy's Dead. The Final Nightmare. Freddy's Dead. Which, the, I like that soundtrack from the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great soundtrack. I think uh, Freddy's Dead is the first Freddy of the, the 90s, right? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. And I mean, what what can you say about Dokken though? That that was on the third movie. Oh, which movie was Dokken on? What soundtrack was that on? Oh, I totally forgot. Yeah, but, I mean, somewhere along the line, Dokken made an amazing song for Nightmare on Elm Street, and also, you know, the Fat Boys also did a rap version. Which, if, <laughs> if you if you can find it, look it up. It's hilarious. It's probably there on YouTube. Right? But yeah, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out our Patreon. We we have tiers starting at $1, and we have full-length movie commentaries, and we will have a lot more coming there. And also, we're kind of in talks and maybe start doing some merchandise here or there, maybe? Yeah, if you guys want a shirt, so maybe we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah, maybe we will. And, Robert, don't we have another film in production? 
Yeah, sort of. I mean, just a couple of test shots, really. But we'll form it into a, a short as yeah. soon as we can get through this weather and the pandemic, too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, just, I really wanted to warm up before we do anything, too. I got you. But yeah, everybody, I mean, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And that's going to do it for the Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And we'll see you on part two. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, don't go to sleep. Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.